Hebrews 11, verse 1, sin and judgment. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel, and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, 
than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Amen. The book of Hebrews has been arguing, has been proving, demonstrating to the Jewish Christians that they must put their faith in Christ. Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ plus their good works, not Christ plus something else or someone else. It was only Christ. He has been proving this from chapter 1. For 10 chapters he's been proving it. Now he's proving it on the basis of calling to our attention all of the saints that he mentions here. And of course, he doesn't have time to mention every single believer in Christ in the Old Testament. That's why he said that time will fail him. Verse 32. He did not mention so many others. He did not mention the kings like Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah. He did not mention those kings and many other righteous men and women who looked forward by faith, and believed in the death and resurrection of Christ for their forgiveness of sins and eternal life. They did so, although many of their contemporaries, or most of their contemporaries, not contemporaries in the rest of the world, of course, they never heard the gospel of Christ. They, most of them did not believe, with some few exceptions. Like in our chapter, Rahab the harlot. She was a Canaanitess. She did believe. And there are other such exceptions. But generally, they did not. But among the Jews, who should have fully, uniformly, as a whole nation believed, there were only some, only a few, of those who heard the word, who had the prophets of God, who had the patriarchs of God. They had everything that was necessary. They were preaching and believing in Jesus Christ, the coming Christ. This is what he's been proving and showing for 10 chapters. 
He even said in chapter 10, verse 38, or 37, 37, 10, 37, yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. He was known as the coming one. On the basis of such a verse, Hebrews 10, 37, taken from Isaiah 26, 20, and Habakkuk 2, 3 to 4. Isaiah 26, 20, and Habakkuk 2, 3 to 4. So the Jews, as we see in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he, he Jesus is referred to as the coming one because the prophet said he's going to come. And when he comes, he will die and rise again for your sins only if you believe. If you believe, then his death is for your benefit, but not if you don't believe. And so very few did. Just as in the past very few believed, so it was in the time of this letter to the Hebrew Christians. Very few among the Jews believed. Remember John 1.10 and 11 when he said that he came to his own and his own did not receive him? He came to his own and his own, his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. For the most part, that's what John means. And... Therefore, he presents in chapter 11 many, many testimonies because the Jews of the day and even today, and even now today, we have the addition of many Gentiles, which is most of us, that many Gentiles love to cite these figures, these individuals of the Old Testament and love to cite them in ways that are contrary to the gospel of Christ. Such as, Abraham, Noah, Abel, they didn't believe in Christ, they didn't know anything about Christ. Abel just had to offer the right sacrifice to be acceptable to God. Noah had to build the ark and believe that a flood was coming. Abraham had to believe that he was going to have a miraculous descendant, Isaac, and through Isaac have many more descendants that he would never see. Abraham just had to believe things like that, and so forth. That's not the doctrine of the book of Hebrews at all, and it's not the doctrine of the Old Testament. The Old Testament testifies of Christ, beginning with Moses and with and all the scriptures. He explained to them the things concerning Himself, it says in Luke 24, 25 to 27. In the same way, here he's telling us, all of these saints put faith in Christ and therefore were acceptable to God. No faith, no salvation. No faith, no blessing. And when we say faith, we're talking about true faith, not phony, fictitious feeble, flighty faith. We're talking about true faith. That only. And we may ask, did he say anything about faith in Christ in this chapter? Yes. In eleven seventeen to 19, he said that when he, Abraham, received Isaac back, he received him as a type, a type of the death and resurrection of Christ. And then in Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, he says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That means that Moses believed in the coming reproach of Christ, which is the coming cross of Christ, the death of of Christ to pay for his sins. Having emphasized those points, let's now see and compare and contrast what he says, what true faith is and what it's not. And notice that faith is the predecessor, faith is the basis 
for their obedience. Because they had true faith, therefore they obeyed in incredible ways. Many of them in very incredible ways. That faith is what he wants to instill in all of us. For us to have this kind of faith so that it leads to obedience. He who loves me, he, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. They loved Christ, therefore they kept the commandments of Christ. They had faith in Christ, therefore they obeyed Christ. No matter what the cost was, no matter what the outcome might be, they did so. Now verses 1 and 2. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is both assurance and conviction. If one does not have conviction, he does not have faith. If And conviction we mean, he, in his heart, he truly believes what the Word of God says. That is shown by his courage, by his um, unflinching attitude toward what God has promised. That's what conviction is. If that's not there, then there's no true faith. If assurance is not there, then there's no true faith. And what is it? In hoped for, not seen things. Not things that are visible, but those which are invisible. If we don't believe in the invisible God, if we do not believe in what we cannot see yet now, then we do not have true faith. Faith has to be in that which is unseen. If it's not there, then there is no true faith. He said in 1127 that Moses had it, 1127, as seeing him who is unseen. Therefore, no critic, no skeptic, or no professing believer should ever say, I have not seen God, so I don't know if any of this is true. That's ridiculous. They have never seen their own thoughts. They have never seen their own heart or mind. If they have not seen their mind, shall we call them animals? Shall we say that they are insane? They're no different than animals? No, they don't want us to do that. Therefore, they cannot say, well, I haven't seen heaven, so I don't know if it's real. If they want the approval of God, verse 2 says, by it the men of old gained approval. There is no approval. God will never be pleased with us unless we have this true faith. Otherwise, if we don't, no approval from God, no salvation, only condemnation. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. The universe was prepared by the Word of God. This is evident in Genesis chapter 1. The Lord spoke and He created light. He created the sun, moon, and stars. He created many of the things that are within creation simply by His spoken Word. He said, let there be. And there was. <coughs> but he didn't create in his initial creation, he did not create out of visible things. He had to speak in, in, into existence the foundation of the earth. He spoke into existence light on the first day, and that continued for three days until the fourth day when he created the sun, moon, and stars. Skeptics say that's impossible. 
But the Word of God says it is possible because 1 John 1.5 says God is light. And in the world to come, Revelation 21 and 22, the only light that will exist is God's. There will no longer be any sun in the heavens. There's no longer any sun. The only brilliance, the only light will be God's light. As He did initially in creation, He will do eternally for those who believe in Christ. But He mentions here, not made of things which are visible. He's not speaking comprehensively and absolutely because obviously Adam was created from the ground. He's not denying that. But where did the ground come from? It was unseen and then it became visible because God spoke it into existence. This is what he means by it. Also, he is contradicting ancient pagan philosophers and ancient pagan religions. In ancient times, they would use philosophy and religion and even science. Darwin, Charles Darwin in the 1800s was not the first. He became popular, but he was not the first. In this way, all unbelievers believed that what is currently in existence was made out of the material world. Nothing was invisible that became visible. Nothing was unseen that became seen. There was always material existence. According to the ancient and modern even, philosophers, religionists, skeptics, and fake believers. And by fake believers, we mean those who believe in evolution or whatever other fancy theological and philosophical terminology they use to dub their heresy. In one way or another, it still boils down to their belief in evolution. That's what it is. And therefore, if they believe in evolution, according to Hebrews 11.3, they do not have true faith. Whatever fancy label they might label it, they'll say, no, no, they don't, uh, we don't believe in evolution. We don't believe in macroevolution. We don't believe in Darwinianism. No, 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 no. We don't believe in any of that. They come up with another term. But when you ask them, well, what do you mean by that? If you read their writings, hear their sermons, they are preaching evolution in a new package. They don't have true faith. Therefore, they are condemned. Proceeding to verse 4, Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel had true faith in the purpose of the sacrifice, in the content of the sacrifice, that is what God expected Abel and Cain to present to the Lord. This is evident from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, and Genesis 4, 1 to 15. Genesis 3, 21, and Genesis 4, 1 to 15. In a careful reading of those passages, we find that Adam and Eve learned about sacrifice from God, and God taught, or Adam and Eve taught, Abel and Cain and all the rest of their children. They learned what God expected. Abel had faith in the meaning, in the illustration, in the typology of the sacrifices, which is Christ. He believed in that. Therefore, he obeyed God as God told him to offer the sacrifice. He had faith. And he had obedience in the best or better sacrifice. Cain did not have faith, and Cain did not bring the proper sacrifice. 
No true faith, no true sacrifice. Therefore, Cain was rejected. He did not have true faith. He was wicked, but Abel was righteous. Cain was condemned. Abel was blessed. Yes, Cain was condemned. Jude 11 mentions him among the false teachers. The false teachers or false brothers. Cain, Korah, and Balaam. Jude 11. That they did not believe. Also, 1 John 3, 11 to 15, it mentions Cain again, that Cain was of the evil one. He hated his brother Abel and murdered his brother Abel. The contrast here, Abel, by faith, did what was pleasing to God. Cain lacked faith, did that which was displeasing to God. God received Abel, God rejected Cain. And Cain, or Abel's example still speaks. We're speaking of him right now. And there are other verses of Scripture that mention him. He is remembered as the first martyr, first martyred prophet. Our Lord mentions him in Luke 11, 49-51 as the first martyred prophet. Luke 11, 49-51. We continue to Enoch, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. In Genesis 5, 21 to 24, Genesis 5, 21 to 24, Enoch is described, and there, twice it says, he walked with God. And it wasn't written that way simply to say he was godly in the usual sense. But it's written in such a way, especially because of the outcome of his godliness, his true faith in Christ, is evident because God took him up and he did not experience death. He did not experience death. He did not see death. Not see death. Hebrews 11.5 Contrary to liberal commentators who say Enoch died, it's just that the book of Genesis does not record it. Enoch died, Genesis doesn't, does not record it. Actually, Hebrews 11.5 says he did not die. He was taken up into heaven as a prefigurement, as a type of the ascension of Christ. A type of the ascension of Christ, but also a type of our being caught up together with the Lord to meet him in the air. Enoch was taken up. Also, by the way, in Jude 14, it mentions Enoch. The book of Jude, verse 14, Enoch is also mentioned. We said that Enoch believed in Christ. When it says he walked with God, correct, he was pleasing to God, correct, but he was pleasing to God because he had faith in Christ. And Jude 14 says he preached Christ. He preached the return of Christ. If he preached the second coming, the return of Christ, he must have also preached the first coming of Christ. Because he believed in the first coming. He also believed in the second coming. He was a preacher. He was a prophet. It says, And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's what Enoch preached. 
according to Jude 14. He preached the return of the Lord. Hebrews 11.6, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith is so essential. True faith in the true Christ is so essential that otherwise it is impossible to please God. For to please Him, we must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. How would we show that we are diligently seeking Him? By faith, coupled with obedience. If we truly believe, we will truly obey. If we don't believe, we will not obey. Whenever the Scripture speaks, we will say yes, and with eagerness, with diligence, not hemming and hawing, not straddling the fence, nothing like that, not double talking, but say, yes, that's what it says, therefore I will do it. I believe in it, now I will obey it. This is the way we must believe and diligently seek Him. Otherwise, He will not reward us. He will requit us. He will recompense us, not reward us. Reward with blessing or recompense with punishment. Speaking of punishment, verse 7. Noah, by what he preached and what he did, Noah himself condemned the world. Not on his own authority, but by the word of the Lord, his life and his lips condemned the world by the authority of the word of God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence or in fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah heard from God what to do because of what was about to happen. He had not seen a flood No one had seen a global flood, a worldwide flood, until that time. Nobody had experienced it. Nobody had seen it. But Noah believed the word of God. He feared the word of God. He feared God. Therefore, he prepared the ark or the large ship for the salvation of his household. And when he did so, he condemned the world. Yes, his godliness was a sign of their imminent judgment, their imminent condemnation. His godliness brought to the surface a contrast between their ungodliness, his righteousness compared to their wickedness. Therefore, he was a precursor. He was illustrating the fact that they would be condemned. They were condemned physically in the flood and spiritually because they will go to hell into the lake of fire. He was an heir of righteousness according to faith. In 2 Peter 2 verse 5, Peter, 2 Peter 2 5, Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was a practitioner of righteousness here, and he was a preacher of righteousness. He did both. He preached and he practiced righteousness. But everyone, and according to commentators, there were billions of people on the earth at the time of the world wide flood. Billions, with the B, as in boy, billions of people on the earth before the flood. And only eight, eight people, four men, four women, only eight were spared out of billions. And even if we grant, for the sake of argument to the skeptic, 
that there were millions, eight out of millions is also a very tiny number, an extremely small number, even out of millions, whether 10, 100, 500 million, whatever the number was, according to the argument of the skeptics. It's still a very small number. 8 to 10, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was called by God. This is made plain in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and other places. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. He was called by God to leave his homeland, his native land, in southern Mesopotamia, in Ur of the Chaldeans, where the Tower of Babel was built, and later the Babylonian kingdom, we know of Nebuchadnezzar, where he later, many years later, reigned, as king over the Babylonian Empire. Abraham was from that area. He went out from familiar territory to unfamiliar, strange territory, not familiar with, not knowing where he was going because he believed in God. He lived as an alien in the land of promise. That's in Canaan. He was an alien, meaning he wasn't born there. He was a foreigner. And he was 75 years old when he arrived in the land of Canaan. 75 years old. Therefore, everyone else around him was different. Did not believe like him. He and his clan, some in his clan, believed, like Lot. Lot, also his nephew, went with him. They believed, others believed, but not the rest of the population in the land of Canaan. Then, for a long time, he did not see innumerable descendants. He only saw Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, he saw them, as well as Esau, he saw them, he enjoyed them before he died, but he did not see the Christ born into the world. He put his faith in Christ, but he did not see Christ born into the world through Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. He did not see any of that, but he believed in the promise. They all did. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were fellow heirs of the same promise. Abraham looked for that which was unseen. Where? The city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He means in heaven, the heavenly city, the heavenly Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. He believed in that. He wasn't putting his sights and hopes and dreams in the world but in the world to come, which he did not see. Sarah also, verse 11. By faith Sarah even herself, by faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah heard the word in Genesis 17 and 18, 17, Abraham heard it, and of course he would have told Sarah about it. In Genesis 18, Sarah is also told, personally she hears it in chapter 18, and she was 90 years old, that's why he says beyond the proper time of life, 90 years old when she miraculously conceived Isaac. How did that happen? It happened by the miracle of God. It happened by the promise of of God. But she believed in the promise. If she hadn't believed in it, 
then it would not have happened. Of course, in predestination, she would have believed because God had ordained it to be that way. But the point here is not on the predestinarian side. The point here is on the faith side. She must believe whatever promise God made to her. And she did. Therefore, verse 12, also there was born of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. In time, he had this many physical descendants, but he never saw them. In time, he had this many spiritual descendants, but he never saw them. In time. 13 to 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises. When he says without receiving the promises, he doesn't mean they didn't receive and believe the promised word and the content of it. He doesn't mean it that way. He means they didn't receive the full experience of it, the tangible full experience of it, but they looked at a distance. They saw it at a distance. That's how they received it and believed it. But in terms of the full experience, the fruition of it, they didn't receive them. That's why he says in the end of the chapter, did not receive what was promised, 39, 11, 39, did not receive what was promised. Why? Because in due time, when they are raised from the dead, we shall be raised from the dead. In due time, when the return of Christ occurs, we all will jointly experience that blessing. That's what he means here, that they did not receive the promise. The resurrection of the dead and the full company of God's people together enjoying God in Christ forever. That has not yet happened. But meantime, they weren't discouraged. They weren't depressed. They did not defect even. By defect, we mean, remember, Abraham struggled from age 75 to 100 in the land of Canaan before Isaac was born in terms of that specific promise. Remember that Isaac, he had contentions and quarrels with the herdsmen near him, Genesis 26. Remember that Jacob, he returned to where Abraham and some of Abraham's relatives had settled north of Canaan in the land of Haran in northern Mesopotamia. He went back there for 20 years. Why did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never permanently return to northern Mesopotamia where they had some relatives or even farther back to southern Mesopotamia in Ur where they originated? Why did they never return and permanently live in those places? Because God told them not to do it. So they didn't. And God told them not to do it in order to anticipate the heavenly country, the heavenly Jerusalem. Because their migration to Canaan was a symbol of the heavenly country, the heavenly Jerusalem. They believed in it, therefore they kept God's word and stayed in Canaan. Isaac and Jacob were born in Canaan. They were natives, but they were aliens in reference to the world to come, to the country to come. They were natives physically of 
Canaan, but they were foreigners in Canaan and on the earth compared to heaven. That's the way they lived. Seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 11, 17 and 19. Abraham's severe test of placing Isaac on the altar, Genesis 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham knew that if he slayed Isaac on the altar in Genesis 22, that God would have to raise Isaac up from the dead because God had previously said in Genesis 17, 17, 17 to 21, he said in Genesis 17 that Isaac himself is the son of promise. He will receive the promises and he is a type of Christ. Christ will come through him, not anyone else, not Ishmael. That's the sense in which he says, only begotten son. Ishmael was begotten before Isaac. But he's only begotten because he is the heir, or the ancestor of Christ and the heir of the promises. He's saved just as he believed, because he believed in his descendant, Christ who would pay for his sins. So that when Isaac was spared death, in a sense, he was laid on the altar. And when he was laid on the altar and then unbound from the altar, not slain, unbound, and then stood up in a picturesque sense, in an illustration, he died because people are buried horizontally. He died and then he rose from the dead. And that the Bible calls a type, a shadow, an illustration, a symbol, a sign of the death and resurrection of Christ. He believed in it. Verse 20, Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Things that he had not seen, just like everybody else. He, as a prophet, blessed them about things that did not yet happen. 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the firstborn, but Jacob blessed Ephraim to be more blessed and numerous than Manasseh. Genesis 48. He did so, but he never saw it. He did so, but never saw it. 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. In Genesis 50, he orders the sons of Israel to take up his bones. Moses also did so. Moses actually did so in Exodus 13. But Joseph ordered the sons of Israel, take up my bones when you leave here and bury them in Canaan. Why? Because he believed that Canaan was a type of heaven. He never saw that that happened, of course, because he died. Verse 23 the faith of Moses' parents. Verse 23 is the faith of Moses' parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The parents of Moses understood that Moses was chosen of God. The scripture doesn't say how they knew that, but the scripture says they did know that. Moses' parents knew that. 
And Stephen in Acts 7 verse 20 says similar words. Acts 7 20. And it was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely or beautiful in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. He was lovely to God or beautiful to God, which is an indication of him being chosen by God for salvation and also to be the leader of the people before he was born. Then his parents are told of it. That's why, one reason why, or the main reason why, they were eager to protect him from death. His parents refused to obey the king's edict. Now Moses himself, Moses in 24 to 28. What did Moses do? Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused it when he became an adult. It says in Acts 7 that he was 40 years old when that occurred. He was 40. He did not want to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Not because it wasn't glamorous, not because there was no wealth, not because there was no power there. Why? 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. In the court where there is luxury, there is usually licentiousness. Luxury produces lawlessness. And he did not want to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin so that he is rejecting, condemning the household that brought him up. Brought him up to worship gods, pagan idols, to indulge in all of the luxuries of the court. He did not want any of that. Why? He wanted Christ. He wanted the city to come. He wanted to believe in the death of Christ and live accordingly. Verse 26, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. If one says, well, how do we know reproach has to do with the death of Christ? Hebrews 13, 12 to 14. Hebrews 13, 12 to 14 explains that reproach has to do with the death of Christ. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. It says, we must also bear the reproach of Christ. That is similar terminology to 11.26 and also Luke 9.23. That we must take up our cross daily and follow him. When we take up his cross daily and follow him, we're going to be reproached because we are bearing the reproach of Christ. We are declaring the cross of Christ as the only way of salvation. And men will mock that only means of salvation because they trust in good works. He considered the cross of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward, the eternal reward, because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 11.6 Also, verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Again, that which is invisible, he who is invisible, he believed. Therefore, when Pharaoh threatened him, and also, by the way, all of the confrontation of Pharaoh from Exodus chapters 5 to 14 or 5 to 12 or 13, depending on how you look at it. The whole section of Moses confronting Pharaoh 
Pharaoh went into, or Moses went into the presence of Pharaoh. And at any moment, Pharaoh could have ordered his guards to arrest Moses and take him outside and execute him immediately. And upon the, after the ninth plague, Pharaoh said, he warned Moses that you better watch out because you should never see my face again. And then why? He's, a threat, he's threatening him with execution. And Moses said, you're right. I will never see your face again. And then the tenth plague occurred. He did not fear the wrath of the king. If he didn't fear the wrath of the king, why should we fear the wrath of the king? 28, he kept the Passover by faith and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. He kept it, he taught it, and the people of Israel observed it so that the destroying angel did not slay the firstborn in any household that obeyed this. But he did it by faith. He believed in the sprinkling of the blood. Not that the blood of animals saves from sin, but it signifies their, the faith in the death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. The Egyptians did not have faith. Therefore, they were destroyed. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Joshua and the people believed what God said, that they should circle it for seven days, and then on the seventh day the walls will collapse, and then you can proceed to go inside the city of Jericho and <clears throat> conquer the city. 31. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab heard, in Gen this is Joshua chapter 2, the walls of Jericho, that was Joshua chapter 6. Rahab the harlot grew up in a pagan country in Canaan. She had this notorious practice of being a harlot or a prostitute. She believed in the gospel of Christ, not simply that the God of Israel is the creator and sustainer of the universe, as dispensationalists say. No, she believed in Christ. She believed in what Moses had been preaching. She heard about what Moses and the people did in Egypt, what God did through Moses against the Egyptians and what Moses was preaching, she believed in it. Moses preached Christ, she believed in Christ. That's why she and her household did not perish, but the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho, they perished. 32. Gideon what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets. Not enough time for all these men. And there are more men and women that he has not mentioned. So many. They were men of faith. Each one of them had to face foreign enemies and conquer them. They had to fight at the thought that they might die. But they believed in the promises of Christ and proceeded accordingly. 33. By faith they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, Quench the power of fire, escape 
the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. They did all of this, all of these miraculous things by faith. For example, the three friends of Daniel, the who did not succumb to the extremely hot fire, Daniel chapter 3, that was because they had faith. That's how they conquered their enemies, by faith. 35 to 38, women received back their dead by resurrection, such as in the time of Elijah in 1 Kings 17, she had to believe the word of the Lord through the mouth of the Lord's prophet Elijah. She knew he was a man of God, but when the word was fulfilled again and again, it increased her faith, and she had greater faith and believed that he was a man of God. Others were tortured, but they did not denounce Christ. They did not walk away. They did not say, I don't believe it anymore. They received the torture. Others did not accept their release because they wanted a better resurrection. Others were mocked, scourged, put in chains and imprisoned. These are intense afflictions. What would we do if we cannot and would not maintain faith? Then we don't have true faith. They did. We should also. What would we do if we were stoned? Verse 37. Sawn in two. This is likely... It's not recorded, but there is extra-biblical texts that say that Isaiah the prophet was put into a hollow log in his old age, and he was executed by King Manasseh but by having a crooked soldier take a saw and saw the log while Isaiah was in the middle of the log. What would we do expecting that that was going to happen to us? Would we maintain faith? Or would we shout and scream, no, no, don't do it, I don't believe. And I, and I take back all of my denunciations of your sins. Isaiah would have to do that. And so would the others who were mistreated, put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. How long would we be able to endure this kind of affliction, these kinds of afflictions? Would we abandon Christ if these things happened to us? We have very comfortable circumstances But what if they were all taken away? Then what would happen to us? 38, they were so faithful, he says, that the world was not worthy of them. They did not live according to the world. They lived according to the world to come, according to heaven. Further, they wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, holes, in the ground. Those who wander like this are desperate for food and drink. But in their desperation for food and drink, they did not denounce Christ. They kept the faith. 39. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. When they died, 
their soul was preserved. Their soul did not experience punishment, but blessing. However, they were not raised from the dead. Just like since the time of the coming of Christ, nobody else, except an, a few exceptions, such as is, is mentioned in Matthew chapter 27, 27, 52 to 53. Apart from those exceptions, the resurrection of the dead has not taken place. They did not receive that resurrection and the experience of that immortality in a resurrected body, just as we have not. Because when we receive it, they receive it. When they receive it, we receive it. It's going to happen together. And, that's, and that is the sense in which he says that apart from us, that they are not made perfect. When we are made perfect in the full sense, 100%, they will be made perfect both in soul and body. But meantime, it says, they did not receive what was promised, which is what he's been saying repeatedly. We have to have faith in that which is unseen. And the way we have access to it is through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is what gives us access, what reveals it to us. We must believe what it says about the reason Christ came into the world and the life to come. We must believe it. If we don't believe it, we have no place to associate ourselves with any of these Christians of the Old Testament. So let's do so. Let's have true faith, rejecting sin, therefore averting the judgment of God. True faith in Christ, therefore there is, ne- there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But if we have that true faith in Christ Jesus, let's live accordingly. If we live accordingly, it proves we're living for the country above. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.